if you don't have a Bible, there's a bunch of them in the cabinet back there. And it helps if you look at it in your own Bible. Now, I can read it to you, quote it to you, etc. But there's something, James says, to receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. <clears throat> and I'll explain a little bit more why I'm teaching on truth tonight. Because we have a dearth of truth in our world. And it's been undermined at every quarter. Uh, this foul virus has amplified that and all the information that runs us in a circle from time to time. There's a stability of the Word of God that settles us in a place of confidence and a place of authority that He's given to us as sons and daughters of the King of all the earth. <clears throat> now, I didn't get paid to say this, but if you didn't see Sunday's teaching, see it. Share it with people. It's one of the best teachings on being born again that I've ever heard, and I've heard a bunch. But there's a power of being able to be straightforward with the truth. You are not born again, you don't get in. Now this may be harsh to some people, but you know it's more harsh not to tell people that because then they think they're okay when they're not. And there's a whole bunch of people, me being one of them, for the first 33 years of my life, I went to church every Sunday. Father was a pastor, but I wasn't born again. So the whole concept and the understanding and a revelation of the absolute necessity of being born again is just an imperative to life. I'm not even headed toward my notes yet, so this is all prelim stuff, <laughs> free of charge. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20 says, Behold, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Now therefore choose life Notice this, that you and your descendants may live by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, by clinging to him, for he is your life in the length of your days. So one of the first scriptures that really rang to me after I was born again is the necessity on a repeat basis to choose life. There's enough rubbish out there, and the, if we get off track even a little bit, I guarantee the enemy will supply you with enough resource to validate whatever you're doing that's wrong. Now, the other side of that, the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you into the truth and he'll show you things to come and he will teach you how to be able to walk in truth. We're going to investigate that again tonight and establish that as a priority. So before we get into the dimension of truth and understanding it, I want to review faith. And I've been teaching on, in a faith series every time I get to teach. And this is what the Lord put on my heart because it is an absolute essential. It's not an option. And many of us have operated with faith as an option from time to time. When things get bad enough, we decide maybe we ought to pray. Well, a little adage that I've learned a long time ago is first of all pray, not last of all pray. And that came out of a situation with the fellow that led me to the Lord. We were both professionals in what we did. And we would help each other with projects on a regular basis. We got into the worst messes with those projects. And finally, Doug figured out in our lightning fast mind that we haven't prayed first before we started the project. So 
this becomes incredibly practical. It isn't just in the church house in the prayer closet. It's got to be in the real world with real stuff and real relationship with real people. And we begin to operate and function in that way. Truth is an imperative. Well, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please him, and he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the seeking and the relationship and the intimacy that we have with the Lord needs to be a whole lot more than reading your Bible and checking it off that you read your Bible and you prayed or whatever. Intimate intimacy with the Lord is imperative. And he draws us into that area and we're called into that. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace to find grow in and be able to embrace the word of God. Um, <laughs> this is another thing I learned early on. Understand what you think or feel, but what does the word say? And I just want to be able to investigate that again. Proverbs says, buy the truth and sell it not. And I tell you what, there's an awful lot of people that have sold the truth because of what they desire and what they want with their flesh as opposed to what God has said. So, the essential of faith. What is faith and how do we get it? This is a simple dictionary definition of faith, which I thought was interesting. A conviction of the truth of anything. Belief, trusting, the character of one who can be relied on. That's our God and Jesus Christ. And then Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I kind of grew up King James, and so there's some of these that fit me better. And it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Amplified had this little phrase, faith believes as real fact that which is not yet revealed to the senses. It's the not seen, the not yet part that we have more trouble with. So we haven't seen any manifestation there, so nothing's going to happen. See, Jake, you prayed, and there's nothing happening. And so he's calling us into a place of we could exchange the word of believing with trust. Trust and reliance on the promise and the promiser. There's another phrase in the Amplified Bible. This is out of Colossians 2. It says, The leaning of the entire human personality on Jesus in absolute trust and confidence in his power and wisdom and goodness. So these last couple of years, particularly the not seen part, has been overrun, the, the faith part of that, by what is seen and what is heard. You know, if you want to have your faith undermined, just look at the news for a little while. That'll, that'll work you over in, in a hurry. Because there's so much distortion. And the enemy has provided a distorted image of our God to undermine the credibility of our God. That's spiritual warfare in a nutshell. Undermine the credibility of who he is, what he has declared, and what he's committed to do, and what he's already done. Trusting in the promises of God produces strength in faith. And that comes out of um, Isaiah 30, verse 15. It says, and, 
in returning to me and arresting me, you will be saved and trusting confidence shall be your strength. But a lot of times there's a part of that last part of that verse that is not underlined in our Bibles. And it says, and you would not. And it goes on to say, no, we're going to go our own way and we're going to speak our own words. And then the Lord says, you're going to be left like a flag on a hilltop and a few are going to put you to flight. And then verse 18, I love that. It says, therefore, the Lord earnestly waits. Matter of fact, it says, therefore, he lifts himself up that he might be gracious to you. And he's calling us and he's calling his people Israel. He's calling believers in Jesus Christ to be renewed and refreshed in what they believe and why. Because there's so much distortion and that comes, a lot of this comes because of our flesh wanting what it wants when it wants it. The deeds of the flesh, then you will live. So truth is an absolute requirement as is faith. So, the trusting in the promises, um, the word of God has higher authority and priority than my feelings of fear and doubt and unbelief because of the character of our God's faithfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 in the Amplified says, As faithful is he who is calling you to himself and utterly trustworthy, and he also will do it, that is, fulfill his call to you by hallowing and keeping you. I think there's a lot of times we're trying to, with the intellect to figure out how to move in faith. Faith never comes in your brains. Faith comes in your spirit, man or woman, on the inside of you. And that's what truth does. And we're going to talk about the spirit of truth, the, the equipping that we have been given, the helper that we've been given to be able to walk this out. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. love the word of God and Hebrews 4.12 says the word that God speaks is alive and it's full of power making it active, operative, effective and it divides between the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and the thoughts and the intent of the heart See, the heart is a combination of the soul and the spirit and that's why James says, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul from going down some sorry trail that doesn't need to go down. That's a little less damn's add on that, but that's what James meant. Bringing us back into receiving the word of God. Our Lombano word again, that he has offered life to us. And the life is in his son, the life is in his word, his life is in the spirit. That's how this works. 2 Corinthians 1, I'm going to start with verse 20. For as many as be the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore also by him is our amen. Uh, so be it. <clears throat> it is so to the glory of God through us. Now he who established us with you in Christ and anointed us 
is God. See, the anointing comes supernaturally. I've been using that term often recently. The supernatural power of God is an essential. Now the soul needs to surrender to that part of it. Now that doesn't mean that we throw your brain away, but it needs to come in submission to your spirit, man or woman on the inside. Because that's where faith comes. That's where life comes. And we begin to move from one dimension to the next. Who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. I want you to remember that word pledge here for a moment. Here's another just interesting uh, definition of a promise. An assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. You know, the Old Testament is full of prophetic promises. And so is the New Testament. And it's there for us to draw on and believe these and receive them, not as information alone, but as revelation. And that's what takes the power of the Spirit to reveal these things to us, to be able to walk in the strength of that. In Strong's Concordance to the definition, a divine assurance of good, a pledge, something supernatural again. Promises believed and received are faith manifest. So I want us to, to look at a person that was moved in faith. Go with me to Romans chapter 4, and we're going to look at Abraham. Now, I don't have time to go into the whole thing of Abraham. That's a teaching all by itself. But Abraham was promised that he would have an heir, a son. And we'll, we'll look at that a minute and some of the struggle that was, was there in the, in the not seen part. In verse 3 of chapter 4 of Romans, it says, For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law or works, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 19. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And the promise is you're going to have a, have a child, have a son. I don't know about that. But look what it says. And yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. So what he was looking at in the natural didn't make any sense. But the promise is what he held on to. The promise and the promiser. And those are the same things that need to be embraced in our own lives as well. That the word of God and things that he has spoken to you specifically have greater authority than what is the not seen part where there looks like nothing's happened. I told the Lord I didn't have any stories, but I do. Some of the guys heard me say, share this this morning. But when we moved to Federal Way, 
<clears throat> we were selling our house. There were a number of people that told us, well, man, you need to keep your house. When you come back, you need to have a place to come. And the Lord had told Don and I, no, you need to, to burn your bridges. You need to sell the house and move on. So I would ask them, now, did God tell you to tell us that, or is that you? And to a person, this is, well, I think that's me. Because they were wanting to, you know, care for us during this problem, this move and transition. So part of the area, we shared a well with Donna's parents. And so we had to have our water system tested. Well, we had failed two tests. And it's three strikes and you're out. And I was at a prayer meeting with other pastors in, in Auburn at the time. And I was sharing this with uh, two other pastors. And, you know, you get to the point where you're praying prayers and they dribble off your chin and run on the floor and there's no faith in them anymore. There's no power in that. That's kind of where I was at. So I shared that with them and I heard Mary Shell pray and I literally felt faith come in my heart. It's like a little switch because fear was getting me. So if this test fails, what are we going to do? We have to redo the whole water system. I didn't have any idea what that all meant. But I tell you for sure, when she prayed, faith came. And something clicked. And then the boys asked me, well, what happened? Well, we passed. And we walked through this whole time frame. But there's something about being mutually encouraged by one another's faith is huge to me. And I've had this happen to me countless times where I hear somebody, I had Jim Hutch prayed something this morning. I, same thing, something clicked off in my heart. Faith came. And so we're learning together how to support each other, how to encourage each other, how to walk together and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, we talk about this a lot. Nobody can do it on their own. Hear me clearly. If you don't remember anything else I say tonight, remember, apart from me, you can do nothing, and that Jesus and his church are attached to one another. And so learning how to share together, how to bear each other's burdens, how to walk in the light, how to pray in faith. And some of this relates to sometimes when we're off the trail. We've wandered away from faith. We're off into something we shouldn't be doing. And being able to confront each other with love and compassion and mercy is an imperative in this. Not just let somebody go off down the trail because you don't want to offend them. I'm sorry, the word of God is an offense. It offends to me all the time because it runs counter to my flesh. And we're having to come into a place of submitting our flesh to the word of God and to the authority of the king of all the earth. It's an absolute necessity that come into a place of truth. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. All of a sudden I was back in that prayer group in Auburn. I literally I just knew it. I said we got it. It's done. It's finished. There's, there's something, you know, my daughter said this to me a number of years ago. She says, Dad, when I have faith, I know it. And when I don't have faith, I know that too. And those are the times where we have to go, Lord, I don't have any faith right now. Would you come as author and produce something in me that I can't come up with? Because a lot of times we try to promote the fact that we have faith when we don't. That's just silliness. 
And so there's times we have to go to one another and say, would you pray for me? I had to do this last night as I finished up this teaching. I just found out, I guess it was yesterday that I had to preach tonight. And then, so I'm working on this thing and I went to Donna and said, would you pray for me? I feel pretty good right now, but I'd like to have that stay. Well, you know, when I went through it again this afternoon, it felt pretty flat. So I went to Jake just before service and said, Jake, you need to pray for me. So we go through this. There's warfare. There's anything that the enemy can do to shut us down and move us from faith to fear, doubt and unbelief. If we buy into that, he's got us. But going to a brother or a sister... You know, crying out to the Lord is, is great, and that ought to be our primary ear. I'm not minimizing that for a moment. But I'll tell you what, having somebody else pray for you is huge. Galatians 3. We were talking about Abraham, so we get in on this as well. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus hung on a cross to set us free. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the, here's our word, the promise of the Spirit through faith. He's promised that to us. Um, I've done whole teachings on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is an essential for us as well. Allowing, see, I'll talk about this in a moment here. There's three little prepositions with the power of the Spirit. It's within and upon. He's with us before we get saved. He comes into us when we're born again. And he comes upon us for power to carry out that which he's ordained and purpose for us. Those are essentials to be able to walk in the anointing of God and the strength that he's made available to us. Jesus paid an incredible price for our freedom. And we need to be able to embrace these things. See, the baptism of the Spirit is not a Pentecostal term. It's a Jesus term. And sometimes we get wrapped around the axle because we've seen some misuse of the authority of the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's as real as anything. And the enemy's counterfeited this in any way possible to prevent us from walking in that which has been ordained by the Father heart of God. Hebrews 13 eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi says, I'm the Lord and I change not. We're the ones that change. And we're the ones that need to be changed back into alignment with his plan rather than our own. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> You know, Peter's got a bad rap from time to time. But I'll tell you what, I totally relate to Peter. Because I've opened my mouth in places that I shouldn't have more times than I care to admit. And, you know, Peter denied. But I'll tell you, when the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit came on him, and he was a broken man, you know, he went out and wept bitterly. And there was something that changed. Jesus went to him after he rose from the dead. There was an encounter. We don't have any knowledge of that, but I know this was restoration. 
Huge. And there's times that we've all messed up from time to time, slipped off into sin, and we're in denial. See, the bottom line with Peter was he, he was chicken. And I've been chicken. And I have from time to time withheld when I needed to be able to speak into a situation as well. And I so remember one particular instance, the details are too long to tell. But I got into that where I chickened out and I asked the Lord, first I had to repent for, for chickening out. And I said, what do I do with that? He says, why don't you ask me for another opportunity? And I said, you can do that? He said, yeah, ask me. And I did. And he opened that up. And I was able to speak into that situation then so I wasn't fearful anymore because there was faith and a confidence and a boldness to be able to speak as well. See, we have a God of second chances and a whole bunch more than that. And I think there are times that we haven't... We have discounted ourselves, and the enemy has discounted us for sure. He said, well, you just are a do-nothing. What's wrong with you? First he tempts us into stuff and then beats us up for it afterward. But the Lord says, come here. When you're overburdened and when you fouled up, he says, come to me as you are, not as you ought to be. Don't try to clean your act up. Bring your stuff. Let's deal with that. I had to deal with my fear. Fear of man it brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be lifted up. So if there are places where you fouled up some things, this isn't anything in my notes, but somebody needs to hear that. Ask him for another opportunity to be able to speak into somebody's life. Maybe a family member, or maybe somebody you work with, or somebody you just know. But love them enough to speak to them. I've quoted Jerry Cook more times than I can count. He said, you know, when people know that you love them, you can say some incredibly strong things to them. And I really believe when you pray and you intercede and ask the Lord for an opportunity to speak into their life, then first of all, you pray for them in their situation. Because somebody said, I'm a product of intercession. When I was so messed up in my life, this is a very high value to me that we press into these things. 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now here we go seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. These are available to us. In order that by them you might become partaker of divine nature, this is our supernatural part of this thing again. So this isn't just information. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1. I pray that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him by having the eyes of your understanding open and your heart flooded with light into the deep and the intimate knowledge of God. This is revelation knowledge. 
I get saved praying that prayer. And I've ministered this to countless people. And there's a whole bunch of you all that need to be able to embrace a fresh revelation of how to be able to walk in these things of being a partaker of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I love the word partaker. It comes a part at a time and you've got to take your part. When, when it's your turn. What's being offered to you to take hold of these things, choosing life and laying hold of this thing. See, I believe this thing applies to me and I believe it applies to you as well. But when it becomes your life and not just words on a page, but this is our God speaking to us and he has promised us divine nature. That's what born again is all about. You, there's a whole, we're recreated in Christ Jesus. It's supernatural. And this translates into not just being born again initially, it's being saved some more. Whatever fancy word for it is sanctification. I say it's being saved some more. Ongoing, continuous action of a supernatural process. And that's what a lot of people are, are stalled in. They're stuck in a place and they're saved. They go to church, they're paying tithe, whatever they do in that dimension, but they haven't experienced the intimacy and the relationship with our God and with one another. That's where the joy and the blessing is at in being able to do this together and provoking one another to love and good deeds and all the more as you see the day approaching. Assembling together. There's an unlimited supply. How much would you like? See, this is the positioning thing, to humble ourselves under his hand. And the avenue that I use on a continuum, I do not have a clue. Would you teach me? Would you show me? How do I get into this area? In, in ministry and whatever we're doing. See, I'm just going to be blunt with this. We need a whole lot more pastoring in this church than what our staff can do. And I pick all of you. Because you, you know somebody that needs something that I will never see. In your family and in the marketplace, in the schoolhouse, or wherever you are. There's some people that need to be loved and cared for. And I believe we're in a season right now, God's birthing something in this fellowship to teach us how to be able to care for broken people. And there's a whole bunch of people that are church attenders that are packing around brokenness because they've never identified it. I've been in this church, well... It was three months started when we got here. And I've been praying for people after service and the, the, the amount of people that come forward, I can probably count them on two or three hands. Now, a bunch of you do come forward and I'm incredibly blessed with that. There's no condemnation or shame in this. But I think a lot of people are leaving a service where the gospel is being preached, the availability of being prayed for and cared for and cared about is available and you're leaving the way you came. I think that's an injustice to Jesus Christ. Because his is the love call. Come to me. Come now. Come as you are. Not as you ought to be. Bring your stuff and let's process together. So process with that area. 
And the other thing that I believe is needs to happen, and I've done a bunch of this from time to time, I heard the Lord say, now go to that person. So we want you all to come forward to us. We need to go to you. So be prepared. I'm going to come and hunt you down. And I've asked a number of people, well, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Lying through your teeth. So I'll say, okay, now, that's the right answer, but tell me how you're really doing. Now, you need to be prepared for that because some people will unload some, some stuff on you that will blow your mind. And then what are we going to do with that? Empty medical bag, true? See, this is dependency on the truth himself and how to be able to minister truth to people because you love them, not trying to fix them or to have them conform to what you think they ought to be doing in a given situation. I remember walking down the street in Federal Way, grumbling to the Lord out loud about what wasn't happening in a couple's life that Don and I were ministering to. And the Lord spoke very strongly to me and said, you just don't know their pain. He said, I want you to just walk with them for a while. Well, you talk about shutting up grumbling in a heartbeat. I guarantee you that was there because he was moving in a situation that I did not understand, nor did I recognize the depth of the pain and the wound that was in these people's lives. This takes discernment by the power of the spirit to be able to truthfully walk through them and care for them more than I care about changing how they're functioning. Oof. Our God loves his people. And there's a lot of people that have been wounded deeply and need to be cared for. They need to be pastored into a place of wholeness. And it doesn't require somebody that is part of a church staff to do that. Pastoring is shepherding. And so I, I pick you guys. Why not you? I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Because there's some people, first of all, you pray. And in, I had to do this in the marketplace. The Lord would, would direct me to, to pray for a certain person. And then he said, now I want you to wait until I open up an opportunity. Now, I don't just go in there and Bible thump them. You know, that just, you got to live this thing. You got to be real to start with. And they'll smell you out in a heartbeat if you're in there trying to do something religious. What is it you want me to do or say or sign or whatever so I can get away from you? That's just silliness. And we've all had encounters like that. But when you care deeply for them and you pray on, a, on ahead of time, you win a right to be able to speak prophetically into their lives. They need to be edified or built up. They need to be encouraged and they need to be comforted. They need to know that somebody cares. It's one of Jesus' highest values is caring for broken people. That's why he came. So that you could have life. I don't have a clue where I'm at right now. <clears throat> yeah. Praise God. So faith is required. We used this earlier. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But faith is obtained from Jesus alone. Now, and I've heard a lot of teachings on seven steps to faith. And it's generally some procedural area. 
that isn't necessarily wrong. But if we don't start with Jesus who authors and finishes your faith on a continuum, not just faith to be saved, it's faith to live and how to function by his direction. Being under the tutelage of the Spirit of God, this is an imperative. Now the Amplified there says, this is Hebrews 12 too, it says, looking away from all that would distract to Jesus who's author and finisher of your faith. So and I've heard the Lord say this to me. He says, what is it that's distracting you? Why don't you look away from that and look at me? Now, there's something of being able to look Jesus in the eye and know his approval of you personally. So you can't give away what you don't have. So our own intimate relationship with the Lord is imperative before we start ministering to other people. You got to believe this for yourself. So you have embraced truth then you can be able to speak truth and be able to, to minister that to people. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now then, now that we've established that faith is an essential, let's carry on and talk a little bit about walking in truth. Um, I wrote this in my notes. It's easier sometimes to do works of faith rather than to be able to receive the gifts of faith. Impartation is huge in these things. And procedure, many times we substitute procedure. As a matter of fact, one of the great, greatest sins of the ministry is substituting hard work for time spent in prayer. And so the Lord is calling us, first of all, to pray. Come come to him. See, our principle comes out of John 5, 19, where Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. You know my little adage, Father, what are you doing? What's my part in it? How can I most quickly align with that? Aligning with that, we're aligning with the faith promiser, the faith producer. And then he begins to show us his heart in whatever situation within that we're in. Primarily, he speaks into our own issue to start with. I told Donna the other night, I said, I'm going to have to wear what I preach. And he told me that years ago. He said, whatever you preach, you wear. But sometimes it's easier to preach it than it is to wear it and to be able to do it and be able to walk it out. But there's a simplicity of simply walking in the light, walking in truth that produces faith in our heart because he does something in me that I cannot do. I don't know if I brought this scripture or not, but this, this is 1 Thessalonians 5.24 in the Amplified. And it says, faithful is he who is calling you to himself and utterly trustworthy. And he also, here's the phrase, he also will do it. That is, fulfill his call to you by hallowing and keeping you. You're born again. You're a son of the, or daughter of the living God. And he's drawing us into that place so that we have his heart for what he's doing and we come alongside. You know, that's why this works thing is just silliness. Like the creator of the universe needs us to help him. But he's chosen us to do that. He's brought us into a place of understanding 
that we have a part in it. Think about your children, those of you that are parents. When we get a child involved in whatever project we're doing, it takes longer, the mess is bigger, and the results are not as good. So why do we do that? Because we love them. And we want them to learn. And sometimes they learn by not doing it right the first time. And that's what the Lord does with us as well. So we're not looking for perfection in this. We're not looking for something that we do it all right the first time. What we're learning is how to be able to listen and obey with whatever our part is. Because it's important to know what your part is not as it is to know what it is. You can't do some, I can't do Jake's job. Man, them kids scare me. <laughs> but not Jake. And so we have to learn, stay in your lane. But it's assist each other and be able to walk in these things together. Well, that's I'm going to ride this puppy until Jesus comes. We've got to do this together. What you have to bring is incredibly valuable. And the enemy has discounted every one of us. I was discounted what I was even going to teach tonight. I had to go upstairs and ask Jake to pray for me. Because the enemy tries to undermine the credibility of this, let alone me. You know, you don't need me. You need the word of God and you need Jesus Christ. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And you need to embrace who you are. You have to embrace the season as a son or a daughter of the living God. And if you're not, we can fix that. We can help you come into that place of being born again. Okay. Walking in truth. You know... I can walk, okay, but how I conduct my life and how I behave is also how I walk. And to be able to conduct myself under the tutelage of the Spirit of God is an imperative. And it's also the area of growing and becoming. Rick said this, I think, last week. He said, I'm not the same guy I was 10 years ago, you know, and neither are any of you. Hopefully we're making progress. We're growing and becoming. To as many as received him, to them he gave power to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. You know, when I was a baby, you know, couldn't do anything. You know, a lot of times when we first know the Lord, we don't do much. We just are being cared for and cared about and nurtured along the way. But somewhere along the line, we ought to have some productive dimension that we're able to receive and then to be able to give away what he's given to us and be able to walk in that. Truth from a Hebrew's perspective is stability, firmness, certainty, and reliableness. And we've used this scripture countless times. Um, he, Yahweh, will be stability in your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge in the fear of the Lord is his treasure. So stability comes from him. And everything that can be shaken is being shaken right now. But we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, the millennial kingdom is coming, absolutely. But the kingdom is also now, but not yet. 
Because Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And there was a demonstration of what kingdom stuff looks like. People are saved, delivered, and set free, healed, and, and established as children of God. And so that's why may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's perfectly in heaven. And so our area is to pull into the now what has been prepared for us, that which eye has not seen or ear heard or entered into the heart of man. The things that God, he keyword, prepared for them that love him, but he's revealed them to us by his spirit. And so he's drawing us into a place of having an understanding. There's a wealth of resource that needs to be taken hold of and received and assimilated and then being able to give it away. I'm going to ride this one also. You can't give away what you don't have. But it's silliness not to receive what's being extended to you. You know, think about with children. You know, you never see a child, you give them a gift. You never see them take the thing and put it up on the shelf. Well, I'll just leave this over here. You know, a child will rip the thing open and wonder what's in there. And then the next question, what else you got? I think that is really what needs to be done. We need to be opening up what is being offered to us and then being able to see what else is available. This is one thing that you can be greedy okay, in a good way. To be able to press in to see what has been prepared and what is the Father's heart and his desire to give to us. Okay, uh, Psalm 119, verse 160. I can very easily read these to you, but I had a clear sense. You have to see this on the pages of your own Bible. And if it's a church Bible that you have, take it with you. And, and if you don't have a Bible you can write in, take one of ours and write in it. Make notes in the margin, underline, highlight things. And Donna had a phrase that she used a number of years ago. Uh, she says grazing. I like to go and look where I've underlined and what I've highlighted. Things that are trigger points. It reignites faith in your heart when you re-believe it again. Okay, verse 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your uh, righteous ordinances is everlasting. So the, the word of the Lord never changes. It's, it's something that's always there. I can vacillate all over the place, particularly my soul man. And there could even be fear, doubt, or unbelief there. But I go back to the word again and say, how did I miss that? I think Psalm 119 is probably one of the most underread psalms in the Bible because of its length. Take it in small bites. Every verse has something to do with law, ordinances, statutes, word, etc. And there's something that will stimulate it. When I was going through one of the hardest times in my life, Psalm 119 spoke to me out of the old living Bible, like it, it was transforming to me. 
So read it in different translations. I'm just looking at verse 130. It says, the unfolding of your words give light. It gives uh, understanding to the simple. King James says, the entrance of your word. Let it in so that it can do its work in you. And we started this evening with uh, John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Turn back a few pages to Psalm 25. Psalm 25 is, is, a, is a section that I reboot with every once in a while. <clears throat> I have to center in and I have to focus. Uh, the first couple of verses says, Unto you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. So the soul... See, and this is the whole thing in Psalm 23. He restores my soul. My spirit is fine. It may be oppressed. It may be hurt or wounded or disappointed. But I'm born again. That, that part stays. But my soul needs to be renewed on a repeat basis. And I need to go back to the word of God and wash my brains out with the truth. Because I get off from that and I wander away. Verse 5, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, for you I wait all the day. I've got written in the margin every day. It's like 24-7. There's that whole dimension of continued dependency. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. To those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Psalm uh, 16 says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand there's pleasure forevermore. That again, he's calling us continually into a place of intimacy so that he can impart to us out of his love and grace. I'll go over to Psalm 86. These verses can be just formed into a prayer or a heart cry before the Lord. Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. And here's a declaration. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Now, I don't know exactly if that's obviously what the psalmist had in mind, but united hearts, he a divided heart is going in different directions. That's why it's soul and spirit. My soul's going over here, but my heart says, come on, this is centered. Come back over here. So I have to pull my thoughts back into a place of understanding how to be able to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Uh, a little bit more on truth now. Truth is what is true in any matter under consideration. Truth is also the self-disclosure of our God. 
Jesus Christ came in the flesh. So go with me to John chapter 1. And we'll pick up some of the things that Rick has so powerfully taught to us here recently. Sorry, Rick, this just bears repeating. No, I'm not sorry. I love this. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Notice this phrase now. I got this highlighted. Full of grace and truth. He is full of grace and truth. Verse 16. This is how we get into this. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. Other translations says grace for grace. So I need grace to get more grace and move into that. See, grace gives me divine ability to do that which I could not or would not previously do. It's how you're saved initially is by the grace of God. But it's also that ongoing continuous action we were talking about a little bit ago. Okay, John 14. Remember I said earlier that truth is a person. His name is Jesus. And he declares that Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So there's a declaration again that he is truth. And see, his word is truth and Jesus is the Logos. He is truth, manifest in the flesh, came and dwelt among us. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, he, he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. The another there is Allos, and it's one of the same kind and equal to Jesus. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. There's our prepositions again, within and upon. Boy, do we need a helper. Recognizing that more all the time. So, why a teaching on truth? Here's some accumulated information that I've written down here. There are very few absolutes in our culture today. Truth is an absolute. It is something that is always true no matter what the circumstances. It is a fact that cannot be changed one way or another. Absolute ultimate reality is God. Free from imperfection, complete and perfect. Now, this is what we've got. No God, no absolutes in our world. Remove God and everything is okay. That's why we have the chaos in our world that we have and the undermining of, of truth. Now, relativism is the doctrine that there are no absolute truths. That truth is always relative to some particular frame of reference such as language or culture. One plus one is always two. Huh, maybe not in our culture. What would you like it to be? And that translates into our sexuality and just everything is up for grabs. Because I want what I want. This is where the flesh 
has exalted itself over the knowledge of God. Feelings are flesh. Faith is missing and so is obedience. Problem with individual moral relativism, it lacks the guiding principles of right and wrong. That's what the enemy in our flesh wants to remove. But this is the one that really got me. This was a, a, a poll that was taken about a year ago. Only 43% of born-again Christians still embrace absolute truth. They are just as likely to reject absolute moral truth while believing to be the true, reliable word of God. And that's the thing that we're facing this day. And, and Rick just mentioned this, that the generic church doesn't preach the word of God. We want to make it comfortable for people. I'm sorry. The word of God is going to make you uncomfortable. If you want to learn to walk by the spirit, you have to embrace the fact of being uncomfortable. Because he will bring you into places of confronting areas and issues in your life that you're going to have to deal with. But this is his grace and his mercy. He has what I call divine exchange. He said this to me a lot of years ago, and I said, Les, I want you, it's, this is out of, out of Hosea, the book of Hosea, where it, it says, rend your heart, not your garments. Open up your heart. He said, I want you to open up your heart. Let me show you what's in your heart. You don't know what's in your heart. That's one of the most appalling things I had to, to do. Daisy pointing those things out to me. It wasn't condemnation. He said, let me have that, and I'll give you my grace. I said, I think I need the grace first. He says, no, no, no. He says, this is self-worship. You have focused on your need, your want, whatever that is. He says, you need to surrender that and give that up, and you need to repent of that. Repentance is a missing dimension in our life, big time, because we will not embrace the truth. When you embrace the truth, it requires action, because faith is necessary in this, and he provides that as well. Then what, what I had to process a number of these things with the Lord, and I still process this from time to time, because attitude adjustment needs to happen on a regular basis. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So those are the kinds of things from time to time that the Lord says, no, that's in your heart. Let's, let's deal with this. And I generally want to change the subject at that point in time. It doesn't work well. But I have to wrestle through until I'm willing to let my heart go. I tell people this all the time. Do not miss the wrestling through part. Because if you wrestle through until your heart lets go, that's when faith comes. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So I've got to reckon myself and, and yeah, I guess it, this is right. The necessity to identify what he wants to identify. And then we have what I call divine exchange. He gets my rubbish and I get his grace. And the relationship is restored and the attitude changes. And the places where I was offended or angry or whatever dissipates. It does not have power over me any longer. And that's what I believe the Lord is calling us to. Why we need to walk in truth so that we're being established under his mercy and grace. Okay, John chapter 3. 
You know, in, in chapter one, it says there's a light that has come into the world that illuminates every man. That's mankind. So you ladies are in that area too. We're without excuse. Light is there. But we have a choice to accept the light or to be able to reject the light. Verse 19. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. I think I've shared this before, but I'm going to say it again. The Lord said this a while back. He said, see darkness as an entity. It's spirit. There's a demonic spirit in the darkness of this world that undermines the credibility of our God. And people that want to sin hide. And that's exactly what's being spoken here. But verse 21, but he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. So the process then is exposure. And I don't know if this happens to you, but it sure has happened to me over the years when you try to hide something, sooner or later it comes out. Lord has a way of exposing things and bringing things into the light. And if we can process with him, it'll save a lot of embarrassment and other rubbish issues later on that we don't really have to deal with if we'll allow him to show us what's in our heart and be able to process with it. He's incredibly gracious. And second chances and whatever, being able to set things back in order again. So practicing the truth is huge. Okay, um, 1 John, chapter 2. The word practice is an interesting word, is, is to walk, to practice, to regulate one's life, yourself, and one's behavior. It's what we do. It isn't just what we speak, it's what we do. And we talk about that often, you know, I hear your words, but watching where your feet go. Not in judgment or anything necessarily, but there's a demonstration that you really believe what you have declared. Verse 6 of 1 John chapter 2. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. You know, when at the Last Supper, when Jesus washed the boy's feet, you know, he said afterwards, he said, um, I gave you an example. First of all, do you know what I did to you? And then he says, for I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Now, I know there's been from time to time prayer meetings where people have had foot washings. It's an embarrassing thing to start with. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus had in mind there. I think the area of learning to walk together and assisting each other and bearing one another's burdens and laying down our lives together, that's what he really had in mind. 
and he was demonstrating something that was very powerful. So if you've been involved with foot washing or whatever, don't, be, you know, don't get bent up about that area because it, it's very powerful as well. But the area of being able to carry out and assist each other, I think, is huge. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends, giving up self for somebody else. That's huge. And we, we've talked a bit about this, that we walk by faith and not by sight. It's the not seen part that we've had trouble with. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. establishing again a little bit more of this walking and the necessity of walking by the Spirit. Verse 16 of Galatians 5, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So the helper is just an imperative in this. And I just want to read this one to you here. This is Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I think there's a lot of times that we're trying to do good things, but isn't necessarily what he's ordained and purposed. But when we're, matter of fact, I know in my own life there's times where I wanted to do something, but it wasn't necessarily something that he directed. So I think what I did in those times, I've wasted time, energy, and resource that could have been utilized better under the tutelage of the Spirit of God and find out what Papa's doing. And sometimes I think just praying about a situation or going alongside and walking uh, beside someone for a season can do not more good than trying to do some tangible thing. I'm not putting down tangible things because these are very powerful. But let's see where Papa's going and align ourselves with that. This is 1 Corinthians 2. I'm just going to quote this to you. Um, that which eye has not seen or ear heard or entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But he reveals them to us by his spirit. Those are the good works, you see, that he's prepared for us to walk in. And then out of 2 Corinthians 10, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The language there is there's a violence of breaking down things that need to come down. And verse 5 clarifies that it says, casting down of imaginations and every high thing that's exalted itself over the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The, the warfare starts in the mind, in the soul. And that's what the Lord is bringing us into, again, an understanding to listen to the Spirit of God, not to the demonic intrusion and the thought patterns. See, a lot of times when this rubbish comes to us, they're not your thoughts, and they're certainly not God's. These are inserted thought patterns to get you to buy into them. 
If you buy into them, the enemy will supply you reasons for staying on that sorry trail and listening to the Spirit of God so that we repent and turn away and break the power of these things. See, we've been given authority. But if you don't use the authority, don't understand how to use authority, the enemy will run you in a circle until the cows come home. He says, behold, I give you power and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But no, not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's where the authority comes from. So the essence of that, the enemy can never come at you with something that you do not have resource. No testing has come to you, but such is common to man. And such as man can bear. And God is faithful to his compassionate nature not to allow you to be tested beyond your ability to resist. And will with the testing always provide the way of escape to a landing place that you may be secure and able to bear it. These things are huge. And utilizing that area. See, the landing place is him. Your real life is hid with Christ. He is the truth whatever needs to be exercised in that area. This is free also. Some things just need to be ignored. Other things need to be addressed with authority quickly and put your focus back on Jesus. You do not have to put up with the rubbish of the enemy. One thing everyone of us has to learn, how to shut the devil up. You do not have to listen to his rubbish. When it goes crossways in your spirit, it's there for a reason. There's a check in that. Something's wrong with this. So ask him how to address this. And I've heard him say, just don't even look at that. Look at me. He makes me look him in the eye and no approval. This is our tactic and spiritual warfare that are essentials of how to be able to undo the works of the enemy in your life and in other people's lives that have believed a lie as well. Speaking truth. That's why walking in truth, believing truth, ministering truth to lost, broken people, wounded people that have a distorted image of our God. And it needs to be rectified with the truth of who he is in the word and in your life. The bearing of the testimony of what you know to be true is huge. And being able to provoke one another in these things and reminding each other of the word of God is an essential. So freedom, uh, John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. Galatians 5 and 1 says, it's for freedom that Christ Jesus makes you free. So keep standing firm and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. When we get stuck in some of these places, we need help getting unstuck. And I've had to have a, a bunch of that over the years. But some of us are too proud to ask for help. And so we muddle our way through and we purport to be something we're not. And we're miserable. Some of this stuff is toxic in our guts. And it needs to be cast out and diffused of its power. Isaiah says there's no soundness from the crown of the head to the sole of the foot because a wound has not been pressed out. Anointed with oil, there's no closure. Some people need to have closure 
to broken places in their life. So you think it's time for me to quit, John? Is that why you show up? I'm close. Okay. Uh, 1 John 1 verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and we'll quit here. Maybe. I'm sorry, I love this stuff. And I want you to love it. Doug, give it away, man. You get enough word and you get jostled, it spills out. You know? That's a good thing. First Timothy chapter 2, we start with verse 1. <clears throat> First of all, highest priority. Then I urge or exhort entreaties, prayers, petitions, intercessions, one translation says, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Now the all men is an interesting area. Now that includes political leaders that make us grumpy from time to time. Deb, I see you making a face back there. <laughs> but it's true. Because he goes right on and describes this here in a moment. But see, there's some people that I love praying for. And the other people, mm, maybe not so much. So I need an attitude adjustment at that point in time. see, Because I need to love them and care for them as Jesus cared for them. Remember the thing in 1 John, it says, he who say, says he abides in him should walk as he walked. Ooh. For kings and all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Notice this now. Who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony born at the proper time. That's the heart of the Father. And so I'm asking us tonight, would you lay down your life for someone? Would you give up time and resource to pray and to do whatever he asks you to do at that point in time? Are you willing to have your heart softened. And I've heard him say this to me whew, numbers of times. Let's let your heart go soft. This is a cognizant decision of the will to let your heart go soft to places that you really don't want to mess with. But people are worth it. See, Jesus died for people. It says God so loved the world. It doesn't mean the cosmos. He means people that need to be delivered from the power of sin and death. So we're going to have opportunity for you to come and be prayed with or prayed for or pray for someone else tonight. Or I may come hunt you. I don't know yet. See what, I might get you, Andy. You know. But being real is what he's calling us into. That's what truth is. Be real. Be a real one, a real believer, a real born again. You know, if you believe you're saved, then do it. Act that way. Carry it out. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we 
We stand before you this night again with thankful hearts that you have been incredibly gracious to us. And I'm asking, Lord, would you birth compassion in our hearts? Would you give us an ability to, to see people in situations as you see them? That we could, yeah, wash feet, serve. And help people find their portion. Deuteronomy says the Lord's portion is his people. And he said, Jesus, you said, I want you to go out into the highways and the hedges and I want you to compel them to come in so that my house may be full. There's a season, I believe, that we're being schooled and prepared by the Spirit of God to care for broken, hurting people in this place. And Jesus, you have a plan for the Bridge Christian Fellowship and I'm asking, Father, that you would position us to embrace that and to be willing to do whatever is required of us to see the house filled. I'm not talking just about the seats here. That, that's all part of it. I'm talking about the house of the Lord being full and that there's a saving work of grace that you've entrusted to us in and through the person of Jesus Christ and the spirit of truth that you've given to us as a helper. So Lord, if, if we're stuck in a place where truth needs to be embraced or we need a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit or whatever that might be. And I'm just going to say this straight away. If, if, as, as you're sitting out here, you know we've got a, a, a team here of, that's willing to pray and help any of you. But if you have an impression to go to pray for someone else, then please do that. And not just tonight. I believe that these are the promptings of the Spirit of God. Say, why don't you go pray for this person? Why don't you lay their hands on them? And simply ask them if you can pray. Ask permission to pray. And then pray as the Spirit of God quickens. So Lord Jesus, we just say, have your way. Use us in this fellowship, in this season, and the season ahead. In Jesus' name. Thank you for truth being spoken to our hearts this night. In Jesus' name. Amen.